it's an amazing thing today, unprecedented, really, that for two and a half months, we have not been able to gather as a church like we are gathering together here today. It's just so good to be here. But it's also a shocking thing as well, what's been happening in our cities this week. Something also unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, as we have seen senseless killing, unbridled rage, and more than anything, the brokenness of our world. And it's been hard to know for sure what would be best to look at together in God's word uh, today. I've had different ideas in my mind. Next week, we'll plan to go back to the book of James as we seek to finish out uh, that study. But for today, for this special, unique moment in the life of our church, I've decided to go back to something very basic, to who we are and to what we are as Christ's church. Like perhaps you've found yourself saying something like this lately. You know, I have really missed being at church. When, when we say that, I've been saying this pretty much every week, maybe every day, right? What are we actually talking about? I mean, we've, we've never even met together before at this facility, right? So we can't be saying we've missed just being here in this physical space, right? Yet I can say, in all sincerity, I have missed being at church. Now, what do I mean? Like, what, what is it that I have missed? It's not a physical building that I've missed. It's, it's you. It's being with you, the redeemed. It's being with you who share with me the same precious faith in our Lord Jesus. That's what we've missed, isn't it? We've missed the fellowship, the love, the sense of belonging, the peace that we experience here that we long for outside of here. And we've missed most of all worshiping Jesus together. And so what I want to do today is pretty simple. I, I just want us to think about the church Simple questions like, who is the church? What is the church? And to do that, I want to take us to the book of the Bible that I think focuses more on the church than any other book in the Bible. I wonder if you know what it is. You could just turn there and see if you know what I'm thinking. But I want to ask us to turn to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, rather than just look at one text in this letter, what I want to do today is kind of walk us through a lot of the letter at one time so we can get a better grasp of what Paul wants us to see and think about the church. So we'll just start right at the very beginning. You see the, the opening verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul says something like this at the beginning of, of pretty much every letter that he writes, just a, a greeting from himself to God's holy people, to the church. But then in verse 3, he does something different. You see it, verse 3? Instead of just going on with a greeting, he kind of breaks out into a song. You see that? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And as you, you hear this song, this is what you see through the song. How the Father, God the Father, has planned everything about how to save us and make us beautiful in Christ. And, and how the Son of God has accomplished the Father's plan in the cross. And how the Spirit of God applies that salvation to the people of God and seals us forever as God's family. And then, and then what does Paul do right after this incredible song? Do you see it in verse 15? You might see even like the heading. What does he do? He then prays. So he praises God and then he prays for what? He prays for God's people to be able to see something, to be able to know something. To see and to know what? He prays that God will open our eyes. Do you see that? Like in verse 17, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so you can know. So you can know what? It's really a, a prayer so you can know the hope that you have in Jesus. A hope that our cities desperately need. The hope of being at true peace with God and with everybody around you forever. And that leads us to the first direct words about the church in the book of Ephesians. In verse 22 of the first chapter, you see it? When Paul says that God has put all things under Jesus' feet and has given Jesus as head over all things to the church. You see that God has appointed Jesus, who's Lord over everything, to be head of the church. That's what Jesus is to us, one of the many things he is to us. He's the head of the church, and what are we to Jesus? That's verse 23. The church is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if we say, what's the church? What's a good answer to that? You could say the church is Jesus' body. And, and Paul will like develop that later on in the letter. And one of the things that he says about that is because we are Jesus' body, what does Jesus do for us? He nourishes us and he, and he cherishes us because we're his body. But there's more than just that, I think, in what he's saying here. As Jesus' body, the church is the visible display of Jesus in the world. I mean, Jesus is invisible right, to us now. Though, like Peter will talk about, though we do not see him now, we still love him. Jesus is invisible to the world in one sense, but he's made visible to the world through his body, the church. 
And you look at what he says at the end of that verse, how God fills up the church with his fullness. This is like God fills up one place with his glory, his beauty, one place on earth today. It's the church with all of its imperfections and all of its failings. It's the church that God fills up with his beauty to show to the world the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of belonging to Jesus. Say that the church is Jesus's body. But if that's what the church is, we might ask, well, then who is the church? Who makes up Christ's church? Because it's, it's not as simple as saying, well, just everybody who walks into a building, right? No, it's, it's, a, it's a specific group of people. Not every person who just walks into a building that might be called a church is actually part of Christ's church. Who is the church? Who makes up the church? You look at chapter 2, verse 1, and it gives you a good idea of this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. If you want to say, what is the church or who makes up the church? The church is made up of people, exclusively of people who used to be dead in their sins. Every person in Christ's church used to be dead, following this age, foolish and blind, headed for the wrath of God, as it says at the end of verse, chapter 2, verse 3. But what happened to those people? Verse 4, but God. That's what happened. But God, being rich in his mercy, and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Next week, we're going to hear the story of seven people who want to join with us. And you know what their story is going to be? In one way or another, it will all be that story. That's the story of every person who's ever been a part of Christ's body, the church. You were dead in your sins, and you still would be. But God reached down into your life through the gospel and gave you life. Because of his rich mercy and his great love, he saved us, washed us from our sins, and gave us hope of eternal life. None of it because he had to, all because he wanted to. As it says in chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one may boast. The church isn't made up of people who have always been right with God. The church is made up only of people who used to not be right with God. There used to be hostility, enmity, division between us and God, but God through Jesus changes it all. That's part of the answer to who the church is. But then when you look at the next section of chapter 2, starting in verse 11, you find something else. You find that the church is made up of people who used to be divided, not just from God, but from each other. Now, Paul is thinking, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 2, Paul is thinking specifically of the huge divide. We feel divided in in our city. We feel divided in our country. 
there was one massive divide that's always in the New Testament. It's, it's almost everywhere. You look at it in the New Testament one way or another between Jews and non-Jews. It was where all the hostility and the division was centered. And it kind of represents all of the brokenness of human relationships around the world, even into our own day. And think of what Paul says in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He keeps telling non-Jews, people like most of us, remember who you were. Remember where you came from. Like, look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to God's covenants of promise. And then look especially at the end. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's what I've seen in our cities this week. So many people with no real hope without God in this really hard world. Do you, you know what? Everyone in the church used to be there. So Paul says, remember how divided you were, how hopeless you were, how far off you were. But then again, we say, what what happened? Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, and what's Paul thinking? Jew and non-Jew, one, and has broken down in Jesus' flesh, on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility between people. Much more could be said, but my point is simply to note that the church is united not by ethnicity or social status or education, but by the blood of Jesus. Jesus himself is our peace, and we're united through him, in him, and through the gift that he gave all of us in the church of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in chapter 2, verse 18. It says, for through Jesus, we both have access in one Holy Spirit to the Father. True peace with the Father and with each other comes only through the blood of Jesus and the gift of God's Holy Spirit who actually produces in the people of God love for each other and joy and peace with each other. So if I say, what's the church? The church is Jesus' body. If I say, who's the church? The church is a group of people who used to be dead in sin but are now alive, who used to be divided from each other but who are now one through the blood of Jesus. And this leads us to to the text that is our scripture memory text for the summer. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. And I want you to try to think about the the picture of the church in it. Some of Paul's best use of pictures. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then you you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Let me just highlight a couple of things. Did you notice, again, that what's true now 
of every Christian wasn't always true before, right? The, you see that? No longer. You're no longer what you used to be. We were once not God's people, but now Paul says you're, you're no longer strangers. In other words, if you're trusting Jesus today, you're no longer on the outside looking in. You're now fellow citizens, a citizenship that runs deeper than country. And you belong forever to the family of God. And that leads us to the second thing, which is right there in verse 19, when Paul calls the church what? When he says the church is the household of God. Or maybe your translation might say the family. Its members are family. The church is a family. God's family. And, and then the third thing you, you could see, if you look carefully through this text, is that for any of this to be true, of any of us, you have to be in Jesus. It's our relationship to Jesus that makes all the difference, especially if you look at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2. Do you see it? In whom? Verse 22, in him. This is what Paul does everywhere in Ephesians. Every blessing from God comes to us in Jesus, and you have to be in Jesus through faith to experience the fullness of these blessings. And then the last thing is I want to look at the, the building language in the text. Did you notice it? We started to see it. Verse 20, like God's household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. And then Paul just kind of like goes after this picture in verse 21 and 22. When he says in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now we've been talking a lot as a church about getting a building, right? I'm excited about that. But I always try to remind us that the church is not a physical building. The church is the people. God is rescued and united through Jesus. But here's what the text reminds us of too. Those rescued people are God's building. Okay? The church isn't a physical building. It's the people but the people make up God's new temple, God's building. And as Paul often does, he just develops the pictures. And so you start looking at the building that God is building and you work it from the bottom up, right? What would be the cornerstone of the building that God is building today? It's Jesus Christ, the precious cornerstone, the foundational stone that supports everything, that unites the whole building project is Jesus. And then Paul develops it further. And he says, and the rest of the foundation that's connected to the cornerstone is the, the apostles and the prophets, which if nothing else would remind us, I think, that we need to be a church built on the Bible because that's where we get access today to the teaching of Jesus, the apostles, and the prophets, which are to be the foundation of every church. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes further and he comes to the actual structure that's built on that foundation. And look at what he says in verse 20. 
The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ as the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And you say, well, what's the structure? What's the part you see today? Verse 22, in Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Can you see it? The people, we the people, are the structure that God is building. The building that God is building is made up of people. Or as Peter says in the text we read earlier, it's made up of living stones. God is gathering many new stones throughout the world and fitting them in to his new temple. And he joins those stones to each other and all of them to Jesus, the cornerstone. And this building has been under construction ever since Jesus started building his church. And he's not done yet. He'll be done someday. But he's not done yet. Jesus is still building. God's still adding new stones to the structure, joining them to each other, joining them to the cornerstone. So who's the church? The church is a bunch of people who used to be dead in sins, but who've been saved by grace who used to be disconnected and divided from each other, but who are now one in Jesus. And what's the church? The church is Jesus' body, so he loves us. The church is God's family. The church is God's temple, God's building. And I think, so what? Like, what's the big deal? What, what would you draw out from that? What do you think Paul draws out from that in the letter? I'm just going gonna, gonna to mention three things briefly that if you read Ephesians, these would be three of the big ones. Of those pictures, this is what he does with them. One, whatever you do, Paul would say, make sure you preserve the unity of the church. That's Paul's first application in the book, in chapter 4. Be eager to maintain the unity. If Jesus died to bring us peace, If he bled to make us one, you better never do anything that divides the church. That's that's what he's saying. Well, how how does that happen? If you look at Ephesians 4, verse 2, Paul gives you a pretty good idea. Peace will only be found where there's humility, gentleness, patience, and love. That's, That's the only way to have unity. Second, second big thing I think Paul does in Ephesians, whatever you do, seek the growth of the church. Now, if you look at Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16, this is where you see probably Paul's heart on this. And to be clear, Paul's not talking about just trying to get more numbers in the church, though we certainly love to see new, new stones added to the building, new brothers and sisters added to the family, new parts added to the body. We, we love that. But Paul's heart is for everybody in the church to contribute to the growth and health of every member in the church until we best display Jesus to the world. We can always display Jesus better than we've done. The church is never going to be perfect in this age. We can always be a better picture of Jesus for the world 
And Paul's heart is that everybody in the building project, everybody in the family, have a heart for the growth of every other person in the project. This is what he gets at in Ephesians 4, 15, when he's saying, speak the truth in love. That's how you grow up into the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, it, with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is our calling, is to build each other up, to seek each other's growth so that we display Jesus better and better. And then the last thing I would just point out as, a, as kind of a call to us in our situation right now is as Christ ambassadors on earth, we ought to seek to share the good news about Jesus with those who aren't part of Christ's church yet. And I really, I want you to think, do you believe that there's hope for our city in Jesus? Do we really believe that we have good news worth sharing in cities that for months have had almost nothing but bad news? I mean, I have heard almost nonstop bad news for two and a half months about disease, division, despair. And then for days now, we've heard nonstop bad news about death and destruction. Does anyone out there have any good news? Do you have any good news to share? Any good news you could tell somebody tomorrow? As Paul pictures so well, at the end of the book of Ephesians, he challenges the church to pick up the armor of God and to step out into the battle. And the one piece of armor that I would want to highlight today is what Paul says to put on your feet. In Ephesians 6.15, he says, And for shoes on your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Perhaps this is supposed to draw our attention back to that awesome text in Isaiah <coughs> that says, How beautiful are the feet of him who brings the good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And I, I don't want to just get you to think of chances you may have to share the good news this week either. Pray for me too. Pray for everyone here and who's listening for open doors. That's what Paul focuses on in some of the last verses of the letter. If you look at Ephesians 6.18, he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert, make supplication for all the saints, and for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains so I can declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Would you pray 
for the doors to open with someone this week to tell them some good news. Good news about Jesus. And would you ask God to give you the words to say when the door swings open? And would you ask God to do the same thing for me and for the rest of the people in the family? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful book that reminds us of the church. Thank you that your eyes are on us today. Thank you, Jesus, that you're still building. You're still gifting. You're still growing the church. Thank you for the promise that even the gates of hell will never prevail against her. I pray that you would take these words, plant them deep in our hearts today, and bring forth fruit. This week we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.